Hey guys, it's Kevin here. Um, this is uh, probably going to be the last episode of Left of the Valley. I'm taking the show on a hiatus for a while. Um, despite uh, all the things that have been going on in my life personally, the whole coronavirus thing, and we've just come on six years of Left of the Valley, so we've had a good run. Um, I'm not saying I'm putting the show indefinitely on hiatus here. Um, if the audience comes out and says, no, we want you guys to continue doing this kind of show, then we will. But I need to hear that from you. So send us a message if you want us to continue the show. Tonight's episode is a bit of a different one and a difficult one for myself. Um, this is going to be Nancy's last episode. Nancy is, um, uh, has been with us for at least five years. And she's been um, kind of like the mascot of the show you know we've given her the persona of the immortal Jew assassin of legend and we've run with that gag for quite a while uh, but um, even Nancy in all her amazing energy that she has um, she's always been like uh, the little big sister I've always had and and Nancy's on her last legs unfortunately that she's suffering from lung cancer so um what I did is I, I wanted Nancy to talk about, well, she, she offered to talk about what she was going through. And uh, the, the episode before this was supposed to be an episode with uh, 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 Dave Warnock, and he suffers from ALS. That, that fell through. The last two, three episodes have actually fallen through. Uh, we've, had, we've experienced technical difficulties, and, um, and I'm glad that this one went through tonight. So what I did is I essentially threw an invitation out there to a whole bunch of people, guests from the past, and that have uh, touched Nancy in a way, and her, her presence has touched them as well. And we're going to be discussing... Oh, stupid thing. We're going to be discussing death. So it might be a bit of a warning. This might be a bit of a heavy topic for you guys. Um, but anyway, I hope you enjoyed this maybe last episode of Left at Valley. Hi, this is Seth Andrews. I'm host of the Thinking Atheist podcast. A special message here for Nancy, especially in light of the recent news. And I know that you're getting a lot of well-wishing from a lot of different people. It's interesting. I was um, talking to a friend recently about the temporary nature of this life and how on some level I know it is attractive to think about an afterlife, you know, and heaven and those types of things. When I was a devout believer, it was attractive in many ways to think about a place where there is, uh, you know, life 2.0 and perfect peace, and we are reunited with everybody that we've loved and lost on this earth. It's paradise, you know, in that context, it's easy to understand why so many people hold to some notion of heaven. But, you know, we as rationalists, we as people who hear the claims of, uh, you know, moving on to another plane somewhere and understanding that there's really no basis for that and understanding the nature of the brain and belief and, you know, the utility, how we've often coped with our fears of death by constructing these happy endings. Many of us have found a moment of liberation because we get to refocus ourselves on this life 
We get to focus ourselves on the moment-by-moment interactions with our fellow human beings, our brothers and sisters on this earth. We get to really experience the pure joys, you know, the unadulterated joys of being alive and appreciate the fact that we beat the odds. You know, we likely statistically should have never been born, but we beat the odds and we get to breathe the air. We get to feel the sun upon our faces. We get to live and laugh and love and experience this life. And, you know, if it's temporary, it's still a beautiful and wonderful thing. It's still amazing to have connected in the way we've connected as the universe expressing itself for just a short period of time, as the saying goes. Someone asked me, well, if you don't live forever, doesn't that cheapen life? And I think just the opposite. I think the idea that every moment is brief and fleeting and temporary and the clock is ticking, this makes every second so much more critical. I like to say that every vacation has a final day. Every delicious meal has a last bite. Every piece of music has a final note. Are these things not worth enjoying and experiencing because they don't last forever? Or is it their temporary nature that makes it so amazing, that makes it so precious, that makes it worth embracing? Your life is an amazing thing. Your legacy is an amazing thing. And while I hold out every hope that you are going to be one of those people who beats the odds and is able to be with us for much, much longer than is expected, know this, that your life has rippled outward. I mean, every day you have been alive has been a rippling outward of your heart and your mind and your thoughts and your attitudes and your activism. And this has impacted who knows how many people. And in that way, I guess we all continue to live on. We live on through our children, yes, but we also live on through the ripple effect that we have in other people that we interact with every single day, our parents, our children, our siblings, our neighbors, our co-workers, our audiences, our friends, the people that we just bump into on the streets. You never know the impact that you have had, but know that you have had an impact and continue to Today, in fact, this gathering of friends should be a reminder to you of just how important you are. Much love from Natalie and me. Big hugs from me and my audience. And just know that we've got your back and we love you very much. Hey there, heathens. I'm John, the Godless Engineer. Hi, I'm Aaron Rod. Hi, this is Andrew Jasko. This is Don Queen from the Godless Heathens Podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Hector Garcia. Hi, this is Owen from Rex and Owen and the Skeptical Texans. Hey, I'm Stephen Woodford of Rationality Rules. Hi, I'm Thomas Westbrook of Holy Kool-Aid. Hi, this is Matt Delahunty. Hi, this is Britt and Nikki from Unapologetics. Hi, I'm Donald Trump, and I took a rip. Wait, which one second? I gotta put my hands up here. Yeah. Just go ahead, Robert. Just go. Hi, I'm Robert Stanley of the Right to Reason podcast, and I, I took, a, took left a left at the, at the valley. valley. And we, oh, should I say it too? No, sorry. Sure. <laughs> I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud of being an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, it's 
and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you one last time from BC. This is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I am your host tonight. As usual, this is going to be an interesting show, guys. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, this is probably going to be the last Left of the Valley for a while because of all the things that are going on. But today, we're talking death. Not just the lead death of the show, but death in general. And uh, I've got something going on tonight that's uh, interesting. Um, the show is going to be non-edited. What you're going to hear is exactly how the conversation went. Uh, I'm not going to edit anything. I'm just going to put it as pers- uh, how it was essentially played. And uh, hopefully you'll indulge me in that. Uh, in the meantime, I'd like to start, since we're talking about death, let's talk about probably one of the best quotes about death I've heard is from Professor Dawkins himself. He said, um, We are going to die, and that makes us the lucky ones. Most people are never going to die because they ne- are never going to be born. The potential people who could have been here in my place, but who will, in fact, never see the light of day, outnumber the sands, the grains of sands in Arabia. Uh, certainly those unborn ghosts include greater poets than Keats and scientists greater than Newton. We know this because of the set of possible people allowed by our DNA so massively exceeds the set of people, of actual people. In the teeth of these stupefying odds, it is you and I, in our ordinariness, that are here. We privileged few who won the lottery of birth against all odds. How dare we whine at our inevitable return to that prior state from which the vast majority have never stirred. And I think that's a very, very apt way. Um, Death is one of those topics that is taboo in general in a society. But although it's not taboo in, in, in the atheist society, I think it's a topic that sometimes we're ill-prepared for. It seems so much easier as a believer to say some, oh yeah, he, he she's in a better place now, and you know the finality of death is not so, it's just an illusion, and it continues, the party continues. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this last episode. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the six years that we've, put in the show it's been um, it has changed my life dramatically for if it's not for this little show I there, there's a ton of fabulous people that are going to be on the show tonight and some people that I've never would have met some people I've never would have had the uh, pleasure of uh, talking to uh, I've interviewed intellectual giants uh, I've interviewed legends uh, in the public sphere you know, you talk about people like, uh, you know, Lawrence Krauss, Rich Dawkins, Arne Raw, you know, uh, uh, scientists of all kinds, you know, whether it's Dr. Ben Davis, Dr. Garcia, all the scientists we've had on, Jerry Coyne, etc. The list is too huge uh, to, to even think of, of all these interviews we had. Uh, James Randi, the magician James Randi, a legend in his own making, you know, who's still around. And I had the, probably one of the highlights of my six years of doing this. But one of the biggest highlights as well that I sometimes don't think about and, well, we don't really express as much was to be able to do this with Nancy, uh, who's been with me for five years. Nancy has been the rock I've been relying on 
she's just been consistent. She was like 99% of the time there, no matter what. And when you do a podcast, and podcasters out there will know, that is incredibly precious. And she's she's become, for lack of a better term, the soul of the show. You know, she's 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 a bit of a or a little mascot. And now Nancy is uh, not going to be able to be part of the show anymore. And to be quite honest, I don't know if I can continue this show without her. Um, if the Left of the Valley comes back, and I, it kind of, part of me hope it does, it'll come back as a different animal. Uh, but I will also want to let the uh, the audience decide that fate. So I want you guys to let me know. Um, send me a message. Message me on Facebook. Message me on Twitter. Message me on uh, left at valley at outlook.com. Send me an email. Um, the, do- the domain left at valley.com is already uh, non-functional. Uh, this is uh, this has been you know draining my pockets this this venture, but I've been doing it for the pleasure. We, I never went to this uh, podcast thing with the idea that we'd become rich and famous. Uh, yeah, it would have been nice, of course, but our philosophy from the from the day one was always to let people know that one, they are not alone, and that rising tides lifts all ships. That's why we always featured other podcasters as well on on our show. It's even, even though sometimes we were not featured on theirs, but it doesn't matter. The point was, we wanted to show that you know by all these great people out there that for the average listener the average person that sometimes I'm not sure about their whole whole world that uh, we were there for them and a lot of other people were there going through the same trials and none of this would have been very possible without Nancy if I had to do this show by myself it'd be it'd be a crapshoot of a show it wouldn't be nowhere near what it is so Nancy's always been an integral part of this and and this is going to be extremely hard to continue on without her, uh, not just as a podcaster, but also in my life, because she's been a friend, a confidant. Uh, she's family. So, yeah. sorry, I'm a bit choked up. So this episode is going to be called Thank You, Nancy. And let me just play... The episode as it went. Hope you enjoy. Exactly what, what's going on here. So, uh, so I guess uh, we uh, only got uh, twenty minutes left before the rest of the crew joins in. So I'm not sure how much how much of the show you guys actually want to do here. Um, uh, okay, um, Kirsten and Christina, say something because I I haven't. Kevin, you're a little bit. Um, you're a little bit fuzzy. Am I fuzzy? Uh, Chris- yeah. Christina, say something so I can hear you. Okay. Hi. Can you hear this? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And Kirsten? Yeah, I'm right here. Your mic is clear, and Christina's, um, when I start talking to other people, I'm not going to be able to hear them, and that's, that wouldn't work at all, would it? No, okay, just, let's do it. Yeah, when we talk to other people, it's going to be the same thing. We're going to hear the, 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 the it's going to be pretty much like this anyway, so... Okay, I, I, we've got to think positively in terms of this not being the last show. We've, you know, this is us. This is who we are. Once a week, we get to be unfettered in ourselves. So we've, you know, Kevin, can you rethink this? 
so that we can make it work? Well, yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm open to the possibility. But, you know, like I said, right now with the, the whole coronavirus and me yeah, losing my job and, and a whole bunch of things like that, I mean, this, right now it's just... It's the last show for now. It's a, Yeah, exactly. The last show for now. We're going on hiatus. Yeah, I could not have put well, it better myself. Okay. But we need to keep in touch anyway. Yeah, of course. Of course. All right. So um, I guess, uh, I don't know, you guys want to pick up uh, like a like what we normally do? Or uh, I don't know, Nancy, do you have a top 10 or anything? Or what do you got? Well, uh, yeah, but that seems like so trivial at this point. <laughs> what are, what are you set up for? Are you, are you doing, are you doing um, chit-chat? Are you doing brilliant moment? What did what are we doing for I, 20 minutes? I, I did not set up chit-chat at all because I thought, you know, that this okay. was going to be a, a different kind of show. And, you know, the only... Ch- <laughs> well, let's... Okay, let's do the, let's do that because, you know, I think... Uh, let's do a regular chit-chat because I think the only thing we can really talk about is... Is the coronavirus? Exactly. Yeah, and that that's pretty the much... Only thing that's pretty much in the news. That right? kind of ties into what I'm dealing with, too, because it's like every single headline that I've read, it's like one, two, three. Are we three. recording already? Yes, we are recording. So is this going to be part of the show? Sure, it is now. Oh, God. Our poor listeners. <laughs> I'm so sorry for you. You know what? We They've been through so much time. with us. Oh, we them one last I'm time. I'm so sorry. Anyway, so what about that coronavirus? Jeez. I'm not handling it well. Why? How is it? Emotionally, mentally, um, a lot of <coughs> trauma in my childhood involved being isolated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not like interacting with people um and also a lot of trauma happened over like online so now that's like how i do my have to do my therapy and stuff and it's it's just it's not going well mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm with you every step of the way and i'm i've i've just been like kind of shut down a lot yeah i think we can all say for that like it's... a month <laughs> it's, it's not been good <laughs> Well, you know, something we got to say that, you know, our our our, uh, our response, our Canadian response, as compared to the Americans, oh, is it's so vastly, vastly superior. America's really dropping the ball on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think they're, they're about on the verge of surpassing China. They already they have. Already they already have? Oh, they, yeah, they, they, they did it they, yesterday, like, morning. For yeah. once, America is number oh, no, one, like and it's not ago. a good thing. It, it hap- they surpassed them about two days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, though, sorry, that was loud. Um, you also have to take into consideration that China isn't reporting yes. their numbers anymore. Yeah, fair enough. So, But apparently there's also the, uh, the news that came out that there were no, no new cases in the Wuhan pro- province. Yeah. So that, that's, uh, that's pretty much... Uh, but you also have to realize China isn't a country that is necessarily going to be open with that information. Mm-hmm. So you have to take it with a slight grain of salt. Um, but I think that them being a uh, authoritarian, um, like, crazy country, they were set up to deal with it better because they could just, like, tell everyone, don't leave your house, you're going to get shot. <laughs> yeah, mm. they... Yeah. Yeah. Where in America, people are like, freedom! <laughs> exactly. So America, I mean, people don't take science seriously they're like oh well especially with trump being like oh it's just the common flu and let's not even talk about the religious side of things yeah okay praying is not going to make it better yes we can yeah we can nancy okay you have to remember that if obama 
was president that the U.S. would have been ready because they had everything Mm -hmm. in place. So the reason the U.S. is sinking at this point and behind the curve is because Trump and the administration removed all of the Mm -hmm. supply chains, all of the agencies that could deal with this, and then they cut budgets. So this is a 100% result of um, incompetence and and um, greed and politics. If if the, the if everything had been exactly the way it was when Trump took office, the U.S. wouldn't have been in in this problem, and they wouldn't have had a president that said, "I'm not talking to these governors because they're not appreciative." Mm-hmm. This is horrible. This is 100% driven by this madman who's in charge. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really depressing. Just like realizing how many people are gonna die because of Trump. Like there are yeah. already a lot of people dying because of Trump, and it's just like there's so much more. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really at the depressing. top. I'm at, I'm at the top of the sacrificial list. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I am. I'm, I'm 83. I have cancer. So if I was in the U.S. and there was a ventilator going past my bed. They just keep on going, yeah, and give it, and, and they'd give it to somebody younger and stronger and healthier, and the hell with grandma. I mean, I understand it, and I probably would say, if asked, you give that respirator to someone who has more years to go because I've only got a couple of months. I'm dying anyway, but it's not. It, it's not the. It's not the administration mm-hmm. driving the the choices. You know, of let's sacrifice the old vulnerable people, mm-hmm. you know, because we'll save a lot of money in Social Security, too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a political decision. Yeah, it's 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 kind of uh, it's kind of it's kind of sad that to, to think that, you know, uh, the the human heart has been replaced by the collective wallet of people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this yeah. and, and, and this throws into sharp contrast the failure of the capitalist system, really the failure. That, oh, you know, one hundred percent. Fuck capitalism. Free market. <laughs> free market is not going to pull you out of this. No. Free market like, is not going to. Oh free, my out god! This. Like, capitalism is the worst thing to have when you're dealing with a pandemic because the corporations are just like, "Fuck it, work." I don't care if you die. I'll hire somebody else. But then you no. see socialist countries that have a socialist society. They're actually caring about each other, and they're like, okay, you know what? We'll get through this together. Like, look at Canada. Yes, we're capitalists, but we have a stronger socialist bent. Mm -hmm. And we're all like, okay, you know what? We're in this together. People are social distancing out the wazoo. Except for those few dumbasses that are walking (laughs) around. I judge them so hard. I'm like, you are not six feet apart. Oh, God. (laughs) She's not lying. She really does. Yeah. and we're at, and and a lot of people have I know in our community have actually been like we understand that yes you might not be sick you might not be at a high risk of dying or like having complications but you aren't the only one around you have no. to live life during this pandemic like you're carrying the virus and like you can infect other people so you have to like protect everybody you kind of have to support each other by staying away from each other 
And so, so, Kirst, so Kirsten, what what are you doing at work? What is management doing at work to um, help protect all of you guys and and the customers? Well, like what, the particular position I'm in, I'm lucky because I'm overnight, so I don't actually interact with any customers. Um, I only see some of the very early morning people that come in. But what they've done is they've taped off six foot sections on the floor for customers to line up. They've put up face shields. We have disinfectant wipes that we can use to wipe down our carts and all that. They're limiting the number of customers in the stores. Um, oh, they've got hand sanitizer and all of that. They are even limiting like what doors they come through for because we have multiple entrances. So they're definitely doing what they can to keep like us as safe as possible. And I know they're that we're not the only place that's doing that. Other places like Superstore have put up fa- like the shields at the checkouts and things like that. And it's really kind of all we can do. Yeah. Christina, anything in particular? You're Literally pretty much fine. Nothing yourself. has changed. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you work with cows, so. I work with cows. I try to make sure that I don't closely interact with uh, one of my bosses because he's, uh, like, in his 80s. So, like, I don't want to, like, yeah. give him anything. Because we understand that even though you're not around a lot of people, I am around more people. Exactly. And even though it's still a limited number of people. There's still a chance you get infected, then I get infected. Exactly. And because I don't I'm... want him to get infected. Cause he's so, old. when you guys, when you guys are out shopping... Are you wearing gloves? Do you have any wipes to wipe down? I just I don't go in the stores. Cart? I just stay in the car. Yeah, usually only I've been going into the stores. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any gloves or wipes. I do have hand sanitizer that I put on, and I'll grab it there if like it's available at the checkout to use. Um, but people went a little panicky with buying things, so now <sighs> we're waiting for them to stock restock. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been hard seeing all the buying. Yeah, since I'm I'm self-isolating, I have people, um, some friends who are shopping for me, and which is really nice. It's interesting, though, when you put down things on your grocery list that you think are, um, you know, easy for people to, to see, it's not. Because they decide that they're going to get you what's there sometimes rather than, what you've asked for, so I know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I never quite quite know what's going to come back. For instance, <laughs> I put down on one of my lists that I wanted Deli World rye bread because I really like that rye bread. So there wasn't any, and my shopper decided she was just going to get me any rye bread because oh, to no. her it didn't make any difference. So I got some really strange rye bread that I don't <laughs> like, and it's like, oh, man, I don't. I don't dare complain. And yeah. then I got sweet onions instead of regular onions. And then I got a package of lunch meat rather than deli meat. So I never know what's going to come back. It's an adventure oh. in eating. But I, I really appreciate everybody, yeah. you know, going out and doing this for me. But then the, the other interesting part of it is what do I touch and what? do I not touch? Is the bag okay to touch? Can I touch the cereal box? Do I have to touch the cereal box, take the cereal out, put it on the shelf, use hand sanitizer, and then go to the next item? That's where I'm really getting, you know, okay, I'm protecting myself, 
but am I overly concerned? I think so. Or I, think, I, I, think, that, I think that's a tad paranoid. Like, I 100% get it, because obviously, for those of you that don't know, I work freight, so I stock shelves, so I literally touch everything that I put away. Um, we do wear work gloves, but sometimes you do have to take them off to do whatever. Yeah, but I mean, come on. I, I think you guys are, are maybe blowing this a bit out of proportion. I know this this is a scary virus, but you got to remember, this, this this is not an airborne virus one. Yeah, so everybody wearing the... What's that? It can survive in the air. Yeah, I know, but it's not it's airborne, like three air, right? Three it's, in other words, somebody coughs in your face, yes. But I mean, no, it, it, it drops to the ground like everything else, right? It's a surface contact, right? So even if you, you're surfacing contact something that somebody with coronavirus would have coughed on, with, with the odds right there, I think you're slim. And then, of course, on top of that, if you don't wash your hands at all and then put them on the mucous memories of your face, yeah. then you're exposing yourself to the virus and the virus taking hold. But I think those are a lot of different steps. I think if you prop- practice proper hygiene, you wash your hands on a regular basis, put your work gloves on when you're handling freight or something like that, and you're not oh, yeah. always put your hands in your face and licking, licking stuff, I think you'll be perfectly fine. Oh, you mean we're not you supposed st- to lick doorknobs? I had to stop licking people myself, too. <laughs> I had to stop licking doorknobs and people. It's a it's a great habit of mine, but you know I had to stop doing that. Now. The day you have to stop licking I, people. I, well, Kevin, are you practicing safe distance? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wear at least six feet of condoms between me and every person uh, that I see in front of me. Yeah, of course. I you know try to keep a, a, a certain distance. Uh, that's why I keep like Christina and Kirsten really far away. Yeah. Right now. No, no, just we're all social distancing right yeah, now. Yeah. Even but, at work, we've done that too. Like we've stopped even having well, meetings. I think- yeah, yeah. One of the one of the things that I find troubling is that we have no idea in Abbotsford what how many people have come down with the virus. And mm-hmm. I, I I now the health department uh, uh, Bonnie Henry who is the who is in charge as the the leading health officer feels as though that's okay. She doesn't want people to be afraid to come forward and she's afraid if they publish how many cases there are people will will stop coming forward to be tested and you know i i disagree because i think if you don't see what's going on in abbotsford you're going to get overly confident and say oh it hasn't reached us yet and so you're going to be tempted you know to stay closer to other people or not wash your hands as much because i have not seen one statistic about anybody in abbotsford getting the virus i've heard stories of people who might have had it but I don't see anything statistically. Is that just oh, I... bugging me, or is anybody else concerned about that? Well, you got to remember, there's 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 been uh, what is it a thousand nine hundred somewhat cases in the entire country. So it's quite possible that there's no cases in Abbotsford per se. Well, no, there is more than a thousand, isn't there? Or is it a nineteen hundred death? I can't remember. I, I, I'd have to look, but it's... it's no, it's we've only had like 50-something deaths. Yeah, we yeah, haven't, yeah, haven't had very many yeah, deaths. Yeah, so it's, uh, last, last I saw, uh, the, the sets that I saw, mm-hmm. I was really uh, watching something this morning, it was like almost 2,000. 2,000 cases across the entire nation. The, the thing is, though, uh, BC is the hotspot. It is. It, it is one of the hotspots, but BC is also... BC. is also big, right? It's the, all the Fraser, I, I, I the lower it, mainland I can, in Vancouver. I can understand being cautious and using proper hygiene, but to think that there's the virus hiding around every corner I think is overblown uh, I, th- I think I think you know if we, we're just being diligent here but you know let's not take it to the point that you know the apocalypse go as soon as you go outside you're infected or something like that. I think the biggest thing to remember in times like this is don't panic yeah don't to panic. quote 
the words yeah. of <coughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I think we're going to know in one month's time whether we've been overly precautious or, you know, cavalier in our thinking. Because the way this is spreading, um, it's bound, you know, I would say within the next 21, 22 days, it's bound to to hit us. With the number of people going through from one province to the other, Mm -hmm. truck drivers, people coming and going. So it, it may... It may, you know, seem like we're on the edge now, but I think probably no. within the next month we'll see where we are. Hopefully, we'll still be low, and we can we we won't peak the way a lot of other other cities in North America have. Let's just hope. Yeah, yeah. I, Let's I, hope by June or July, you know, we'll be over the the first first wave of this and then see mm-hmm. see where we can go yeah it's going to be interesting also it's going to see it's going to be able to see i think that you know within three four months this is going to be done i think and i hope and i think that uh the, the next month is going to be the crucial one mm-hmm. and i also think that you know it's going to be interesting to see four or five six months from now what kind of an impact it actually had on our society yeah. as a whole are we going to develop new ways of being much more hygienic with people? Are we going to be, you know, is the economy going to take a turn for something else entirely, right? Are we going to turn much yeah. more socialistic in our country oh, as, a, so. as far as the economy is concerned? <laughs> what are the Americans going to react to? You know, oh. How are they going to view this, you know? Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting. And we, are, we do live in interesting times. There's yeah. no doubt about that. And I think one of the, like, the scary things, at least for me that I think kind of sits in the back of my mind and causes me a fair deal of stress, even if it's not always at the front of my mind, is like not knowing exactly what's going to be happening tomorrow. Because I know like even Christina and I have taken precautions in that not knowing what's going to happen in a couple of months and have postponed our wedding because that is a gathering. It's less than 50 people, but like we have people coming that would be extremely at risk yeah mm-hmm. like extremely at risk of catching it and we are not willing to Take risk their like, lives their lives um for yeah, our no, wedding you made, the, you made the right call 100 percent. i mean it's you know i'm i'm sorry that all the plans that you made and, yeah. and the, the venue and everything that you like but it'll be much better on the other side knowing that you know your life has gone on your friends are okay exactly. you prevented anybody from being exposed and then the celebration you know will be bigger and better than ever exactly and luckily for us like the vendors and that that we have had i've contacted them all and they've all been extremely gracious about with us and have allowed us to book it for the date that we want so all of our stuff is pretty much already rebooked yeah exactly perfect yeah excellent uh well thank you for the chat ladies uh so right now we're going to switch to our conversation with a whole bunch of atheists uh, oh nancy, boy nancy stay online here i want to see what happens if i make that call here if you're just going to join automatically which i think you will oh god if you disappear i i don't know whether i can ever get myself back on or not well right now right now i've got robert stanley <laughs> i'm not here. touching anything i've got robert stanley i've got Seamus for the free thought prophets i've got matthew maxon daryl ray brent lee <laughs> Uh, Tracy Harris, Arn Raw, Hector Garcia, and uh, John as well. So let's quickly do a, a call and see what happens. Oh, this should be interesting. Hello, hello. 
Hey. Hey. Hello. Hello. Perfect. Hello. It's Daryl. Hey. Hi, Daryl. I got Daryl there. Hey, Daryl. Let's see Daryl in the camera. You're the only one doing video. Okay, there's something else doing video. Do we want to? Do we want to turn the cameras on, guys? I mean, uh, we could do that, but I mean, it just might need a lot of bandwidth. Uh, yeah, I was doing it with them off. Yeah. Yeah. Let's turn the cameras on. We our yeah. internet is not great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. It's... All right, there it goes. I go CIC. Call Nancy here. Matthew, turn the camera off. Turn the camera off. Yeah, you need too much bandwidth. I don't want to oh. see a mug anyway. And for everyone, this is how you hang out with your friends when you're know. all in quarantine. <laughs> I got all dressed up for you guys. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, we could have the prettiest of us still stay on camera. So, Daryl, turn your turn your back on. <laughs> I was gonna say, oh, but the camera only faces Kevin. Sim simply wearing clothes is not dressing up, Daryl. <laughs> well, at least he's wearing clothes. Yeah, we usually I, end up I'm, in the show. I'm dressed, from the, I'm dressed from the waist up. You got a problem with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been in lockdown for about a week in Illinois, so yeah, you're lucky I put on clothes at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been, been on lockdown and having to cook at home, but fortunately, the only time that I really have fits of sneezing and coughing is when I'm seasoning the chili. <laughs> that's a plot. Chili. That's good. I think that's kind of a crazy thing that even though we're from all over, we're all kind of going through this together. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's fascinating. Goodness gracious, I'm I'm still there's still missing I'm trying to get Nancy online here. We had her like 2 minutes ago and uh, Oh no. Nancy's dropped off here. Which kind of sucks because she's the guest of honor. Nancy. All. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on, Nancy. Well, we can do it without her. I mean, come on. We're professionals. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you just say we're professionals? It's when. I'm here. All right. Oh, who's hi, here? Amy. Finally. Nancy, are you there? <laughs> Nancy? Nancy? Yeah, don't, don't anybody answer that voice. That's my parrot. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh that was Nancy. Oh, that's like, yelling. Yep. Oh, I love Max. <laughs> Do I have Nancy on? Nancy, are you on? Yes, no? Nancy? I don't hear Nancy. I don't hear Nancy. Oh, I don't says, see her up at the top. Says Nancy, why is on a bill? Come on, Nancy. Get, get through. Nancy. Nancy. I thought, I thought when I heard the parrot sound, I thought it was Nancy. And I'm like, lean into the mic a little. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Nancy. <laughs> Oh man! Hold on, see if I can message her. Nancy, Nancy, where are you? Oh, don't sneeze. No, but you disappeared. You guys aren't uh, meeting up at your house anymore, Kev. Oh, uh, we actually are. Well, we are. Well, Kirsten and Christina are here. Uh, Nancy me, is. Um, Nancy decided to self-isolate. Yeah, because she's um, her immune system. Is She's smart. Brisk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't Are the three of you definitely. sitting six feet apart? Uh, I don't know about Kevin and me. We're more like five feet. Uh, yeah, at least five. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. close. Curse and I are definitely six. Which is ironic because we live together, yeah, so right. we actually don't need to be six feet Hold apart. Hold the measuring tape. Be like, okay, guys. <laughs> if we have to be six feet apart at home, you're sleeping on the couch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but your dog is not. Oh, okay, that's fair. <laughs> 
All right, roll call. Who do I have here? I've got Robert. I've got Amy. I've got other Amy. Who else do I have? I've got Arn, Matthew, Daryl, Tracy. You on? Yes, I'm on. Okay, perfect. So, am I missing anybody? Who am I missing here? Brent Nikki. Oh, there, Brent Nikki. Perfect. Woo! Awesome. Zach. Oh man. Okay. Hey, uh, Robert. Hector's <laughs> <laughs> here. Missed well. you. <laughs> so, which one was Amy and which one was other Amy? You're That's what Amy. I was asking too. It's very, very important. Uh, you are other Amy. You're <laughs> about to hang up. So to make it even more confusing, if there's other Amy and then you're another Amy. I'm regular Amy. No, you're not regular. <laughs> I'm Amy Classic. <laughs> I'm new Coke. You improved? Yeah, you're new Coke. I'm clear Pepsi. Clear Pepsi. <laughs> I think it was God, crystal it. Pepsi. Yeah. I don't right. know. I'm too. I'm too young to remember that. Do you guys remember? Uh, do you remember Nancy Surge? It was like a green drink. No, none of us yes. remember Surge. Yes, of course. Oh, that was I the best. Everybody here. What? And then. Everybody told me the the yellow five in it would make your penis shrink, and I stopped drinking it because I'm like I don't have anything to lose. Well, that's scientific. I'm not taking any chances. Can you hear me, Nancy? Yay! Yay! All right. No. Okay. I, Watch I dropped. I dropped off when you when you put everybody. Hi, everybody. Love you all. Hi. Hi. Okay. I'm gonna, I, I think I'm going to die at least twice a year so we can have a reunion. <laughs> right? I'm like, why didn't we think of this sooner? If that's what it takes to bring us all together. Is this, is, this is the first time I'm I'm dying, so this is a practice, but I'm really going to get good at this. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to several several Nancy death reunions. Perfect. Sounds good. Now, everybody, I... looking good. Everybody, I really want, I want to thank you guys for all coming here. Uh, Nancy had no idea I was doing this, by the way. So this is a complete surprise to her. She had no idea you guys were all coming on, and I really want to thank you for doing this uh, because this is, after all, uh, the last show that we're doing for Left of the Valley for probably quite a while, if not forever. Uh, we've been going on for six years now, actually. Yeah. Six years, uh, almost today. And uh, and since uh, our... Uh, our uh, immoral assassin Nancy <laughs> is uh, about to go on uh, on our permanent uh, vacation. I thought I'd give her the mic and uh, let her explain and uh, what what she's going through. And I know that uh, you guys have all touched her in many many ways and some some ways inappropriate, of course. And <laughs> I said sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we'd have a great conversation about what it, what it's like to uh, for us as atheists to. Uh, encounter death and face death and how we handle it so uh nancy i guess you're the guest of honor so you go ahead dear and you you you, you do your thing you explain what's going on with you oh that's such a good topic there's nothing like handing the baton off to an 83 year old lady dying of lung cancer and then saying make it exciting and interesting and insightful for us man oh man oh, of course. it's, it's it, yeah, it's a good thing I'm crazy enough to take on the challenge. Right? So, <laughs> the kind of things that Kevin expects so, from us. So while you're living, life happens and interferes. Who's eating chips? You know. Uh, Kevin, are you eating chips? Huh. Somebody's <laughs> eating chips. Not Someone me. is definitely eating potatoes. <laughs> so, it's Brentley. So, I bet you it's Brent. Get your shit together, podcasters. <laughs> This is, the, this is the kind of professionalism I expect from all of you at this point. You started the chip gag. 
I hope whoever doing it opens the bag and they end up all over the couch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nancy, I interrupted you there. Okay, so about five years ago, I developed a cough that um, turned out to be um, a small adenocarcinoma in my right lung, and I had SPRT, which is a high-dosage radiation therapy that's supposed to uh, zap those kinds of tumors out of existence. But unfortunately, um, there are some people um, where it doesn't work all that well, and that's what happened with me. It, uh, it uh, zapped part of the tumor, but uh, either right after or during, or there was part of the tumor that was lurking in a, in a hidden space, it metastasized. Uh, into it was all contained into my to my right lung, uh, but it metastasized into the lining, and um, for about five years I was really lucky because it never bothered me except a little tiredness. But you know I'm getting old, so a little tiredness and hanging onto those oozies, you know, especially <laughs> on some of those night jobs. You know, you figure, you know, you're you're going to be a little weak. You're going to have to, you know, take take a little stimulant here and there to get you back up to speed, especially when you got a reputation like mine. So I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it, but I felt lucky in that I could really do what I wanted to do. And I got a lot of people mad at me because I never said anything. I told my immediate family because five years before I had breast cancer and never told them. And they threatened to kill me if I didn't tell them the next time that uh, I had any kind of a health problem and didn't let them in on it so they could be supportive. So um, so I could live a little longer, I did tell them, but I didn't tell anybody else. And that was calculated on my, uh, on my part because for a couple of reasons, I looked well, I sounded well, I always have a forceful voice. So if they, they dig me up out of the ashes 10 years from now, I'll still be shouting. It just that's 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 my nature. So I didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want it to interfere with our normal relationships. I felt that if I tell you I have cancer, now every time you see me, you're going to think, oh, how much longer does she have? Do we say something? Do we not say something? It's awkward. And I wanted people who like me to continue to like me. I wanted people who I annoyed to continue to feel irritated. I just didn't want anything to <laughs> come between the free flow of who I am and who you are. So for five years, I, I got away with it really well. And then um, in the last several months, uh, cancer has a way of taking a little turn and a little twist. And so it um, began to advance. I think it's in the bloodstream. I think I will find out on Monday whether or not I have bone cancer or not which means that the time that I have left to uh, enjoy all of you and enjoy my family and, and my life, you know, on this plane, that's, that's rapidly, you know, coming to an end. And I think of my life now in terms of months rather, rather than years. But I'm 83 and I've had a wonderful run. So I've, able, I've been able to meet and, and enjoy and deal with the people and events in my life that have had 
a lot of importance to me and to be able to have enjoyed them for this long and be in good health has been a has been a, a miracle it really has and i and i appreciate all the time that i've had and i appreciate all the time that i have left so as an atheist um i can approach this in in a couple of ways as an atheist i believe that and and taking my jewish background i believe that this is the this is the world that we have there may or may not be other things in the great beyond but this is what we have this is what we make the most of this is where if i'm going to live on anywhere i'm going to live on in your memory that's that's my legacy and for me to be able to live on in your memory i want it to be a good good solid friendly memory i want to be kind i want to be compassionate i want to be funny i want to be all the things that you want in a good friend because then i will live on in such a pleasant way within your memory and your heart that my life will have been worthwhile and i think that's probably the highest plane that anyone can reach in this life is to make an impact a positive impact go ahead and be you know i can be i can be mad and and neurotic and all of those things but i know i will be forgiven because i mean well and i do and i know that the kindness that i show and the happiness that i show comes back to me 17,000 fold so that i'm a better person because of you and you will keep my memory going and smile because it may give you just a tiny little place during the day when you think you know that Nancy wasn't such a bad girl. We would have been we would have been nice with a couple of more, but you know, I'm lucky we had that one Nancy in my life. And that's something that that really makes me feel better. Whatever it is that faces me after I'm ashes here, that makes me feel that this life has been one of enormous value and has been exceptionally worthwhile for this little Jewish atheist girl. Mm-hmm. The other thing, the other thing that that I did to understand death and dying a little bit better was to become a witness for um dying with dignity. And that's an organization in the states and also up here um that Uh, um works with the uh, the health systems to be able to provide medical assistance in dying to those who want it it's a choice up here and people sign a request form um to see if they're eligible to be able to receive the uh, medical assistance in dying procedure um there are, are are certain eligibility requirements your death has to be in the foreseeable future you have to have a, a condition an illness or a con- or um a disease uh, where there is no cure uh you have to be over 18 you have to totally understand that by signing the form that when the procedure is done that you will die and there are about eight or nine questions that 
um, the person requesting the form um, answers, and it has to be signed by two witnesses. After the form is signed, then it goes into the health system, and the individual is assessed, and then it moves forward, uh, hopefully, you know, with smoothly, so that the person requesting it can choose the time and the day that they want to die, the day that they say, that's enough. I've, I can no longer tolerate my life as it is here on this earth, and I'm ready to take a deep breath, throw my shoulders back, and take whatever comes. Mm-hmm. Being a witness for this organization has allowed me to accept my death in a much better way because I've been able to deal with not only the patients who request the procedure, but the hospices, the providers, the health system, the other witnesses, um, the the people who take care of the the patients in the hospital, the social workers. I've been able to. I've been lucky enough to be able to go into all of the different facilities and understand how dying patients are cared for. I've been able to talk about death with the other witnesses in a, in a calm way, in an understanding way, so that I can now open up and talk about my own death to my family and to friends. I wasn't able to really do that before. I was always hesitant. What do I say? How do I not, how do I not disturb somebody's emotional state by saying, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but it has made my conversations easier they're still a little awkward depending on who I'm talking to but at least I can talk in a calm way in a rational way and be able to answer questions without hesitating and without feeling as though someone is intruding about asking me and Mm -hmm. I think that fulfills the atheist part of me too because I'm doing what I can to make people understand a little bit more about the life process so in general what is it what else would you like to know what can i tell you stop asking me questions give me the answer what is it (laughs) (laughs) we're having a moment with arm there for a second what answer do you want (laughs) your your mic's not muted <laughs> Just I, let me know. I guess I guess I guess I want to open this. Is why you don't have kids. I guess I want to open this up and say uh, to, to all of you guys out there in uh, in uh, podcast land, there uh, are you uh, even though as atheists and some of you come from religious backgrounds, if some of you don't, do you guys fear death? No. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I, d- I kind of fear the type of death, I guess, at times. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to die in a car crash. I mean, that's I'm fair. I'm afraid of being dead. It's how you get dead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I've already done that, so uh kind of led me to being a, an atheist, so I guess I'm not as uh, scared as I thought I would be. I, I think I, think I, I like to, uh, to quote Woody Allen and says, you know, I, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Uh, I just yeah. don't want to miss anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, is it is it a yellow. selfish thing to think sometimes, you know, like uh, the, the late great Christopher Hitchens used to say, you know, it's it's not that uh, the party is over. It's somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, no, you have to leave the party. Right. Is, it, is it a selfish thing to think that, you know, you don't want Absolutely. this life to go on without you? Yeah. 
And I, th- I think that I think that the the funny part it, it, it's not not funny, haha. But it, it's because we are such egotistical uh, beings that it's hard to believe that we are conscious in one minute and not in the other. It's I am, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I I am. Therefore, what is what is that that quote? I I uh, I, I think therefore I, I think. Am. I think, I think, therefore I am. And you understand that in one second you're going to be thinking and who knows in the second where you're going to be is is a wild thought. It's hard to believe you're not going to be conscious and thinking. Mm-hmm. At least yeah, I, I have a hard time believing that because in 57 years I've never died once. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> May I tell a fast story really fast? This of course. is Matthew. Of course. Um, um, so less than a month ago, my grandmother passed away. She was 96 years old. She almost, yeah, she almost made it to 97. And um, one of the things that I found horrifying, and Nancy, I'm so proud of you for doing it this way, dying with dignity. Uh, don't get me wrong. My, my grand, grandmother is somebody who I... I've loved and she was, you know, the last the last grandparent that I had, but I've been her health had been declining seriously over several mm-hmm. years. And so this was something I'd been thinking about off and on for the last well, 10, 15 years or so. I'm like, what am I going to think about when the time has come? I've lost several friends of mine. I've lost a total of 15 friends when I was in the service, some to combat, some to drinking, some to you know, car accidents, all kinds of stuff. But listening to my grandmother suffocate to death doing that skip breathing is something I will never, ever forget in my life. It is horrifying. Yeah, I want to add something to that, if I may. Please. Um, So I think that the dying with dignity is probably the best way to go. Excuse me for, for... for maybe my phrasing isn't very good or, or something, but watching my grandmother die in the hospital, we kept her comfortable and all that kind of stuff. She felt no pain, but death it affects those of us who are surviving too. And yes, so it, does. it took me took me many many years to get over the death of my grandfather. He passed when I was sixteen, and yeah. there are still times that I think, I'm like, God damn, I wish I could tell my granddad what I did today. Yeah. You know? Um and so you know, um so the way of being able to I think that having the option to be able to choose when you're still healthy, when you're able to go, I'm glad that she was able to recognize me before she passed away, but it was only for a few minutes, you know, because it was she was lucid only for, for brief moments of time. And so I just want to say thank you, Nancy, for doing this. Thank you for being an advocate, and I, I just want to say thank you for all of it. Oh, so th- thank you, thank you for thank being my friend. Oh, and same here. I love you. And thank you, to Canada, for understanding that that's the humane and compassionate way, you know, to die. It still isn't a perfect law. It's now being reviewed to add other people on. Uh, who have ALS, whose death is not foreseeable, but who who ends in 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 pain and suffocating, mm-hmm. and all of those things. So it's it's coming along, but it, it's good at this point 
um, in, it, the, the, the law came into effect in 2016. So um, it, it, and it's refining, but it's good to live in a country that, that recognizes how important that is for the individual mm-hmm. and for the families, because I've been through that with my parents and, and to some extent with the grandparents where they're going to die. No, they're okay. Well, let's get ready to go. No, it's not quite. And then the decision of who pulls the plug. And it is something that is a lasting scar on, on a lot of uh, um, uh, families yes, uh, yes. That, that just aren't able to be able to bring things to closure that they can deal with emotionally. Mm-hmm. I told I told people in my world I want people to unplug me, wait ten seconds, and plug me back in, see if I reboot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to I'll have to I'll have to ask my provider if she can do that as a test so I'll, I'll, see if she, I'll see if she can if she can bring me back from the brink or I'm going to just change into vibrations that slowly 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 work themselves into stardust in the universe we'll see but I will ask her uh, speaking yeah, of that by the way, Sorry. Yeah, I have met I have met my provider. I uh, and I had a lovely conversation with her, and I know who she is, and she knows a little bit more about who I am. So that at the time she comes to be able to to um, deliver those three shots, I will feel at peace because I know who she is and I know her heart and it will it will comfort me to know that the level of her expertise and compassion is making it easy for me to make that transition. That's such peace of mind, it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of dying with Dini, uh, maybe I'll ask that to our American friends. What is the status of dying with Dini in the States? Anybody know by any chance? Uh, dying with dignity is let's put it this way our, our laws are based largely on the Bible so people would <laughs> like us to believe and you know death with dignity is one of the few means of death that the Bible doesn't endorse the Bible doesn't endorse any death that comes with an element of mercy attached to it so if, if it's yeah. justifiable then you can't do that pretty much we've everywhere lost it's illegal dignity. We've tossed all of our dignity down here anyway, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Daryl. Yeah. Hey, how are you, sweetie? I'm doing super good. I'm glad, I'm, and I'm just thrilled to be able to have time to get in here. I'm going to have to leave pretty quick, but I wanted to hear your sweet voice. No, oh, that's too common. thank you. It's good to hear yours, and you're going to be up here in another another month or so. Next month, no, aren't you? No, they canceled. No, they, they canceled. Oh, yeah. they canceled, yeah. Oh, man, I was looking forward to that. Lunch with yeah. them. I, I was too. But we are gonna we're gonna keep moving on. Religious trauma is an important concept that we need to get out. So we're gonna keep pushing. Yeah, absolutely. It Especially is. right now when it everyone's is. so isolated. Yeah, you keep on keep on trucking, Daryl, with everything you do. You're the best. We love you. Well, thank you, Nancy. You you keep you're trucking pretty damn well too. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be trucking as well as you're trucking. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So so uh, everybody's affected by death in one way or another. Is there is, is there uh, and for people that are listening to this podcast, which is our, our last one, uh, and um, is there any piece of advice you guys would give to the listeners out there on how they should face death? I know it's a very well, personal thing, but. Well, this is this is Hector, Nancy, and if I may jump in, Kevin, I just By all means. I want to express 
why I find what you're saying so valuable. So I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist and I've specialized in PTSD my whole career, almost exclusively with combat veterans who have faced their own death, faced the death of their comrades and, and you know, spent a lot of time writing about fears of death. And um, what, what, what comes to mind at this moment is this this American anthropologist named Ernest Becker who wrote this book called Denial of Death. And he points out that in Western society, we have sheltered ourselves from death so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the old days, my grandfather used to tell me that, you know, when somebody died, the, the men all dug the grave and mm. got their hands in it and 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 the family washed the body and put it in the earth and the women all came by with a handful of dirt and put it in so they could be a part of it here we're so detached from it you know we have somebody with a backhoe dig the hole and our bodies are all uh, made to look beautiful by the by the you know the mortician and it's just so sterile um, and i think our religions even further us more from that process by telling us no in fact we never die you know um so i think this fear of death comes from never having exposure to it mm-hmm. not knowing what to expect and kevin you know you're right you know the thing is we're all leaving the party mm-hmm. we are all leaving the party at some point and we're all going to face this so what i love about it is that you are talking about your own process and i think when it's my time to go i'm going to do that so we can be open about death and and, and share this experience with people so it's not so terrifying you know, no. so that's what I know. Yeah, it isn't. I mean, the terrifying part is ending up with the, the respirators and the tubes and the medications and the doctors using all their their toys to keep people alive and having to go through, I think, with some religious people even call redemptive suffering. That's the hard part. The death, if it's an easy transition, is not to be feared. Leaving the party, yeah, it's it's to be, you know, it, it, it takes you back a minute, but that's a nor- natural course of life. Everything mm-hmm. is, everything that is alive is born and dies and goes on to to another phase whatever that that might be and every time i would read something in the um uh you know uh, in, in in news about people who were fighting death and fighting death i th- i thought about fighting and i realized that that wasn't apt because after i got into this process myself having the luxury of of being able to 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 have uh, medical assistance and dying i found that once i embraced the process once i once i understood it and once i was more comfortable with dealing with other people whom i loved my family and friends the easier it has been to reach this point and not to have that level of fear so thank you Hector I, I appreciate everything that, that that you said I've enjoyed talking with you so much on our on our podcasts and um, somewhere I'll be I'll be looking down at all of you <laughs> in whatever form I am and, and, I think, you'll, I think and, you'll be looking up Nancy you might be looking up <laughs> from her throne I just wanted to hop on that too yeah. can I just I was um, so this is Nikki I actually just lost my mom about three or four weeks ago. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And 
Thank you. And I wanted to talk about that fear portion because I think that is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to go back to the question of how atheism has affected, you know, how I see death, how I experience death, it's been incredible because I no longer wonder about what happens after. And I'm just so in tune with enjoying the present as much as humanly possible mm-hmm. yeah. and being in the moment so that I don't have to worry about what happens in a hundred years because. I'm enjoying this now and whatever that ends up being is whatever it ends up being. So I found that, you know, my mom was, she had congestive heart failure and then that turned into renal disease. And it was at a point where they were basically like, listen, we can keep giving you dialysis over and over and over and basically give you like some type of life until everything just falls apart. Or you can accept that, you know, this is where you are and you would like to go without being in that much pain and just make that decision. And she made that decision and it took a while for like my aunts and my uncles to accept it because Mm -hmm. all they saw was I'm experiencing this extreme grief and I want her to be here. Why won't she just stay? And what I saw and what she was experiencing was this was a person who was living life so big so grand, enjoying the hell out of it at a point now where all she can do is sit and watch HGTV all day. Mm. She's done, right? Like she, that's not the life for her. That's not what she wanted. And the atheism sort of helped me realize that like, all I'm here to do is to love her in the best way that I can Mm -hmm. and do what I can to make this as comfortable for her on her way out. I don't get to dictate you know, mom, no, you've got to stay on dialysis. You've got to keep doing this. And you've got to, there's a chance of this and there's a chance of that. When people are ready to go because they see what's ahead of them and they've decided that that's not the life they want to live, you need to respect that. Mm-hmm. And sort of having that that idea that it's not about religion where, mm-hmm. you know, you've done something bad or you're paying for something or you just need to pray enough to make it better and something will come through, a miracle will come through. Instead, no. I've enjoyed the fuck out of this. And, oh, sorry. <clears throat> Drop that bomb. That's Don't you fucking That's swear okay. my podcast. <laughs> and I'm ready to move on now to something else because this isn't mm-hmm. it for me anymore. And I find that, Nancy, I love that so much because that's exactly what my mom just went through. And basically that's helped me now be even more, like even though it's devastating and it feels like you've lost like your best friend. And so there are times where you're just like beside yourself. Other times I'm just, I noticed like at her funeral, which was an extremely religious funeral, but it was still beautiful. She actually, we got her a purple casket. This is like, just to give you an idea of my mom, she had a purple casket in which we put in the back of a horse and carriage that was like beautiful and like, yes. And went like seriously down a main artery in Tampa. Everybody stopping to like see who the fuck is this being carried to their grave in a horse and carriage. But that's how awesome she was like big until the very end. And it's like, that's what life is. It's about, fuck, I've enjoyed this. I'm ready to go now. Oh, beautiful! Absolutely, uh, that's that's a marvel, marvelous way to to put it, and and that you finally understood, you know, what it is that she wanted and honored that. That's so mm-hmm. beautiful. That's so that really is. That's just lovely. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I think I think one of the best yep. quotes I've heard. Uh, oh, sorry, am I interrupting somebody? You just jumped in for a sec. I was going to say something, but go ahead, Kevin. No, no, go ahead, Doctor. You're by all means. You're you got you got priority or whatever stupid things I'm going to say. <laughs> well, I just wanted to reflect on what Nancy said er, 
much earlier and that was how you handled not telling people for five years, which mm-hmm. that uh, that strikes me as incredibly, uh, th- that shows a, an incredible discipline on your part. I'm sitting here thinking, I'd want to tell the fucking world about it. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sitting here thinking, but but she's right. She It does change the nature of the relationships. And, mm-hmm. uh, and thank you. I have really not thought about that until you mentioned it just now. Well, Thank you. That's really yeah. a, it's a good idea, and I admire your discipline. I'm not sure I would have that discipline. <laughs> well, I, I, thanks for the compliment. I think it was more wimpy on my part because I I didn't want to deal with the fallout. <laughs> it's easier to keep this to myself and you know and not have to deal with that for for four or five years of you know gosh is she still alive how are you feeling you know have you been to the doc you know you, you look so good which means that's the end when people start telling yeah. you, you don't want to be baby you, you might as well just just crumble and choke yourself to death at that moment because you know that you know you look like you should be dead anyway but it, but thank you it, it, it was so it's labor too it's labor that's what it is like it's it's always having to do something every time you engage with somebody and that can get that just wears on you it it could Mm -hmm. anyway after a while yeah it it does and going back to what what you were saying about your mother um the the uh, my family my my brothers always encouraged me to go to um, you know, to have chemotherapy, to think about that, to to have you know whatever um, uh, cure, not cures, but whatever whatever procedures there were. And I kept saying, my my body is one that wants to be normal. I'm much better letting my body you know go through its own cycle than interjecting poisons in my life into my body that are going to shorten my life and dug on I'm I, 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 I if I had had chemotherapy or immunotherapy immunology therapy which is the Keytruda I would have been dead three years ago I'm I'm convinced that my body um, ha- has kept me healthier by just doing nothing and allowing nature to run its course but it's hard for the family to understand that you know to mm-hmm. to have to put yourself through all those different procedures is uh especially when you live by yourself you, mm-hmm. you just don't want to get up in the morning you know between two and three o'clock you know throwing up because of the, the the side effects of of some poison in your body so i've been incredibly lucky and and and, and i think i've made the right choices not everybody would agree with me but i think i have matthew you said you wanted to say something pardon i thought matthew wanted to add something sorry no no go ahead no, no it was Aaron who did Aaron said oh. he had something he wanted to contribute oh sorry Aaron, go ahead but jump in yeah, well, it was. I've, I've been second guessing it because a, a couple of the things that I wanted to bring up are, are fairly dark. Uh, uh, one of them, I guess, the lighter of them, was when my dad died. I mean, we we know that, like a lot of people going through the Corona thing right now. You know, they're dying alone in a hospital bed and you know on the wires and everything in an, in an unfamiliar place and alone. And how terrible is that? And there's a lot worse ways to go. Uh, my friend DPR Jones uh, just died in January and unexpectedly just uh, suddenly collapsed at his home dead and there's you know somebody had to break into his break into his house to find him hmm. essentially so that's not a way to go but my dad was given a warning 
that you've got two days max to live. Holy mm. holy. Wow. Yeah, and so they've, they've got him in a hospital. He's, he's on a deathbed, and he knows he's going to go, and it was just enough time for his ex-wives and his collection of sons and for everybody that he worked with, all the people that respected him, to all gather at his side at once to pay their respects to the man while he was still alive. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely the best way to go. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, you can't get a, a better death than that. Now, no. Yeah. The, the worst one, and then the argument for, for, for death with dignity is, I'm, I mean, my, my, my granddaughter had a, an, an adult form of leukemia. And she had two relapses, and of course, with every relapse, the the chance of being saved dramatically diminishes. That's a factor of evolution, by the way. And so there was a point where they, they, they tell my daughter to take her daughter home and just try to keep her comfortable for as long as possible. Mm. And what they're telling her to do is that there's a point where the, the little girl loses consciousness and goes to sleep. And there's a point where you know that she's never going to wake up again, but you still have to listen for days mm. for the breathing to stop. Oh. The, incre- the increasingly labored breathing, the agony of that. Just, just imagine, when we had a dog that had cancer, we took it to the vet, and, and everybody's petting and holding and loving the dog yeah. while they turn on the, the, the syringe, and the dog just goes down. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And we, we can't afford that to people. We, we, we make people suffer through listening to the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. It's not just death with dignity. It's death with mercy. Yeah. Yes. I agree. Like I know, agree. Yeah, Arn. Arn, I don't think that is too dark to to bring up. In fact, that's that's precisely my point. I mean, the more we talk about these issues, the less terrifying they are to us. We, you know, we need to understand and and immerse ourselves in the process and learn from each other as we go through the process. So I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought brought up stuff like that. Yeah, me too. Thanks, thanks, Arn. Love to you, Liliandra. I'm so glad you're you're here with us today. Big hugs. Well, thank you so much. There's also there's something some some aspect we don't talk about sometimes about death is uh, how we face death. I mean, for example, my when my father passed away six years ago of pancreatic cancer, um, I had to I found out on my birthday that he was he was on his way out, and uh, I had to fly back east. Uh, I landed on a Thursday, spent the day with him Friday, and Saturday he was gone. And I saw him die, but I preferred having this kind of visit to him, although it was incredibly short. Uh, and seeing him die myself, then my brother, who went there a couple of weeks before, he spent two weeks with him. But that moment, that moment when he had to leave and come back to his regular life, what do you say to a person who's dying like that? You know, you'll never see them again. You know, what do you say? You know, good luck with your death. You know, well, what do you do? You know, and that, that's something that, that kind of haunts me when, when I, you face yeah. death. You know, I'd, I'd rather actually be there, hold her hand when they actually pass. Than to just say, okay, well, you know, it was nice knowing you. Congratulations. Uh, well, not congratulations, but uh, <laughs> good, good luck. Yeah. You know, good luck. Hope you don't suffer too much. Does anybody have any thought on these? Well, actually, I do. Okay. Um, like, from my personal experience, this year will be two years of my grandpa's passing, and he basically raised me. Mm-hmm. And I know he was in the hospital for, like, months. He'd come home and less and less time each time be back in and i know for one thing when he finally did pass it was like 
a huge weight mm-hmm. had lifted off of my shoulders because there was no who knows what's going to happen tomorrow who's going to who knows what's going to happen in the next hour it was just final that was there was no coming back from that and i know for myself like i chose not to be in the room yeah and i think well with the way things went i decided i was like i don't want to be there i've and seen him that's perfectly fair right and you exactly remember him the way he was and not the way he and i know like christina was my rock mm-hmm. in that time like i honestly don't know what i would have done without her because everyone else was kind of leaning on other people mm-hmm. and it's just it really kind of breaks you in a way it does it does And you just kind of have to put the pieces back together. I know I was back at work. I think I took after that. I was off work for maybe three days afterwards. And I was back at work. And they're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, what else do you expect me to do? Like, I'm here because I feel like I'm ready to go back to work. And, of course, I'm sad. And every time I would see somebody walk in the store wearing suspenders and a plaid shirt and jeans and a hat, which is a surprising number of people. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you work in a hardware store. Um, Like, of course, every single time I would see somebody like that, it was like a stab to the gut. Um, But... It just, it gets better over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well. I know for myself, I've, with death, it's something that I've, I've thought a lot about, specifically around, like, what, what does it even mean to be alive? Mm-hmm. And, like, to be yourself? Because with, with myself, I have a dissociative disorder that means that, if I go to bed at night, I might not wake up as myself. Like, I, there's been times, because um, just for everyone listening, like, I have a dissociative identity disorder. Um, so there have been times where part, like, parts of my brain have gone to sleep one day and they wake up three years later. Mm. And it's like, we're, for them, it's like they didn't exist for three years. They must be pretty well rested, though. Yeah, just, right. Just <laughs> Mad is more an apt term. Yeah, it is. For what they are. Um, and it's like, what, what does it even mean? The diff, like, sorry, I'm rambling now. <laughs> Ramble away, love. Yeah, it's, it's just really, really fascinating when you think about, like, what's the difference between... Like when you're when you're 15 years old, that that person isn't alive anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that 15 year old is in essence like they're they're not there. When you're like 30, yeah. Like there are there are aspects of them for like most people, but it's like life in itself is a sort of death. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. We seem mm-hmm. we seem to have a, an, an intimate relationship with death in many ways. I mean, we fear it, we accept it. I mean, it, even in some uh, popular culture, it becomes a, a character in itself. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, yeah, you have some cartoons where death is actually a character. You know, like a. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting to see the kind of relationships we have built over time with death. And maybe Dr. Garcia can speak to that. I mean, uh, is, is there a reason why we we treat death like a friend, Doctor? You know, anything in psychology that would say something like that? 
I'm not sure about treating it as a friend, but I, I do reflect a lot about about our fears of death, and they're just they're just instinctive. I mean, it, it makes sense evolutionarily for us to fear death because mm-hmm. those in our ancestry who didn't got weeded from the gene pool more often than those who did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I I spend more time thinking about you know thinking about those fears and where they come from and. And, you know, if you can if you can gain that kind of um, reflective distance from from death and see it that way and see your fears that way, I think it makes it more manageable. Yeah. Yeah. And and just like paying attention to what other thinkers say about death. No, please go ahead. I'm sorry. I I just was going to say um, I I kind of have a story to relate about talking to kids about death because wait, wait a minute wait a minute who allowed you on this podcast you Amy I no just kidding snuck in when nobody was looking <laughs> yeah I just snuck in you guys in. needed it's, a better screening process exactly because we're both here so. it's an invasion it really Close is the border <laughs> I'm very close to you I'm in Minnesota I could be there in a couple hours anyway um, so as a parent you know, talking to your kids about death, I think, is is a real challenge, and a lot of parents deal with it differently. And it's something that we had to deal with when my oldest son was nine. Uh, my husband's niece, so this is you know my husband's sister's daughter, mm-hmm. just suddenly died when she was eighteen, mm-hmm. and they they never found out why. They there's no they couldn't find a medical explanation. It it was just her heart just stopped and. So it's, you know, that's hard enough, but you have to tell your child while you're grieving it, you have to explain to them what's happening in a way that isn't going to terrify them, but mm-hmm. so that they know what's happening and you have to do it without saying, well, they're off somewhere else now. You know, they're just, they're in this different, they're in heaven, so it's going to be okay. And they're an angel. And mm-hmm. I found, you know, mm-hmm. when we sat him down and just talked to him realistically and said, you know, to me, I think one of the scariest things about death is not knowing what happens afterwards. So I, mm. I sat him down and said, you know, you remember what it, I said, do you remember what it was like before you were born? You know, when you be, and he said no. And I said, well, that's that's what death is like. You know, it's it's OK. The people here are sad, but that person isn't experiencing that. They're OK. They're not, you know, and I think when we talk to him realistically about it and with our younger son you know we've had a couple of pets that have died that we've had to talk about and kids are able to absorb that information and Mm -hmm. my mom and I have had discussions where she thinks it's just horrible that you would talk to your kids about death that way because it's what hope does that give them and she she isn't religious but she still clings to this belief that her mom and her brother you know they're out there somewhere waiting for her mm-hmm. and she's and she'll say straight up I, i'm probably wrong but that idea gives me comfort and i'm just going to hold on to that um but she you know when we talked about death one day and i told her how we were dealing with it with the kids she just gave me this look like that's horrible why would you describe it to your kids that way but honestly my children when death comes up as a topic now they are very able to process it to understand what it means to come and ask us questions about it they feel free talking to us about it Um, but I think that's something that a lot of parents struggle with is just what do you say it's not something you you usually bring up unless something's happening so Mm. I think it's wonderful that you're doing that because 
it's it's a taboo. It's still Mm -hmm. one of the biggest taboos is talking about it. And I don't know, maybe Hector has some ideas, but there are a lot of people that don't want to go to counseling to talk about it. And there are dysfunctional families that don't want to get into it because it would be an argument. And then there are religious people who don't want to get into it because they're going to go to heaven and that's it. So you have all of these diverse views and no one brings them out into the open to deal with them before a death event occurs and then everyone is stuck with all those emotions that have never been allowed to come to the surface and to have any rational thought about it or at least you know be able to know that it's okay to bring these thoughts you know to to the surface and as a society i guess that may that may be the last taboo that still needs to be dealt with on a societal basis and maybe maybe Hector will have some ideas on how you know how how that can happen but uh, I, I really feel it's just under underdone and and, and and we should we should correct it so that the younger generation deals with it a lot better like like your son they deal with it a lot better than we have been able to well and i think dealing with you know especially with this family it was a very religious family my husband's whole family is catholic and it it's been hard over the years this happened about 5 years ago so it's been very hard to watch um my sister-in-law deal with this because she spends so much time wondering why this happened trying to answer that question why did this happen why would god do this to me why why do i deserve this and the answer is there is no why it happened you know it's uh, you know wanting to know what medically happened is one thing but she wants to know why god would do this and why what she did to deserve this and you you can't answer that question so you torture yourself with it and I just, I wish there was a way to, for her to be able to, I guess, think about it that way, that there isn't a why. It's an awful thing that happened, and you could not have prevented it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, in, in that respect, we, we have <clears throat> a certain advantages, advantages as non-believers, because yes. we can talk openly about this. When, you're, when you have the conversation that, no, in fact, you don't die one day you're going to be floating in the clouds with all your dead relatives playing harps mm-hmm. and stuff like that. <laughs> this conversation ends mm-hmm. and and it becomes unnatural and becomes, you know, um, just something that, that doesn't ever really happen. You, you don't absorb the reality of it. Well, so I, think I, I, do, I, I do have these conversations with my children in a very open way and, 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 um, Surprisingly, they respond well to that. I've even, I've even, you know, kind of quoted Mark Twain, which you kind of talked about. Yeah. He said, "I don't That's, fear I death. I've that. been dead for billions of years before I was born, and I didn't suffer." Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I and I talk about how, you know, we go back into the earth and we 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 fertilize the earth and things grow out of us and life continues and that's part of it. And because of that, you have to live every moment like it could be your last you know accomplish what you want to accomplish see what you want to see love the people uh that you want to love fiercely while you're here you know well and, and i think it's so it's far a very, they, they, they absorb it yeah it's a very cruel thing to you know when we when this was happening to witness all of the relatives just saying you know this happened for a reason she's with jesus now she's in a better place you know, God wanted her early. Just these things that are 
it, it just made at least my husband and I angrier, you know, and yeah. grieving more because nobody wants to talk about the reality. They just want to talk about, well, I guess God needed an angel earlier. It's it's just so frustrating when you're dealing with a religious funeral. So and it kind of yeah. comes across in a way like almost like they're putting a band-aid on it to like cover it up. Yes. Well, exactly. I don't know about you guys, but now that Nancy's uh, always been known as our assassin on the show, I, I, every unexplained death from now on, I'm going to blame on her. <laughs> so right off the bat, you know, anything that dies in the world, reasonable. anybody, it's Nancy's just, fault. Yeah, just think of me yeah. as the eternal assassin. I'll <laughs> always be here. So. <laughs> um, Am I the only one that feels like this whole thing is kind of about Nancy? Like, come on. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Jesus, yeah, right. You know what, Robert? You're so right. We haven't talked enough about you. We haven't talked enough about you, Robert. Why don't you tell us how you really feel? I just have a question, if that's okay. Um, I never know what to say as an atheist. When I was a Christian, I always could say, like, you know, God this, God that, whatever. Uh, I'll pray for you. Like, it's so easy for them. It's really hard for me, and maybe maybe I'm I'm kind of alone in this, but like I I feel like it's a it's a little more difficult for those of us that try to live by reason uh, and 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 science and and not necessarily faith. Well, if you can answer this question, it's okay if you can't. But Nancy, what would you recommend to people that like how do we how do we say we love you and and we're going to miss you and we value the time we had together like how, how you just you said it well, you just said it i think in german it. you would say <laughs> ich liebe du and in russian it would be yalo blu vas no you you just said it i think touch a hug the way you look at somebody Sometimes when you love somebody, and I mean, if you love somebody and you give them a hug and you step back for a moment and you cup their their chin in your hands and you look at them and just that gaze mm. and the touch mm -hmm. means more than anything you can say. And then another hug. And that's that's what that's what it's all about. It's that. It's that coming together um, and and knowing that we are we are all in this. This is going to sound so trite, but that we that we are loved, that we are valued, and that we are sorry that we're not going to be part of each other's lives. I mean, you said it beautifully, Robert. You don't need to think of anything else except that and the power of touch. Yeah, because if, I, if I, I've got a religious family, if I said what are instead of Yelabavava to my family, they'd just call an exorcist right off the bat right there. And yeah. <laughs> Knowing you, you play it up. Isn't it okay to say I, I don't know what to say? You know, yeah. I, Exactly. I've had friends that I have a friend who had a young child die, which is to me the most terrifying thing mm. I can imagine. But mm. um, yeah. going to the funeral, you know, we walked in and the friend just walked straight up to us just crying and just gave us long hugs you know that's all she yeah. she didn't need us to say anything she just no. needed that hug yeah. and we just said i i don't know what to say mm -hmm. it's this is awful and we're here for whatever you need that's all you can do sometimes exactly well ladies and gentlemen 
Sorry. Because we, we we don't need the – I mean, we're verbal. I mean, here we are. Right. We're podcasters. Mm-hmm. We're verbal. <laughs> and when oh, we yeah. can't find the word, it's harder on us because mm-hmm. we are defined by how well we express ourselves. Mm-hmm. And yet – we don't need to. We just need to be a loving human being. And mm-hmm. and we know without any words exactly what you mean and what you want to express. So leave this silence between us as, as a mark of I understand mm-hmm. where we are. I'm a member of the VFW uh, and a member of the uh, the ritual team for my local post. This is Matthew again, by the way. And um, I've had to do several um, more than several wakes for people of the VFW who'd passed away. And so what we usually, what I usually end up saying, um, because as an atheist, most of these people, you know, are at least, you know, they're societal Christians of some kind. And I usually say, you know, like, oh, at least he went quickly or um, he's feeling no pain now or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that, you know, for me as an atheist, I just can't say, well, he's dead and he's, you know, uh, I just I just can't say that, but I can well, say it's definitely well, true. He's not feeling pain. Yes. And that's why I say, well, he's no longer in pain. He passed quickly. Be thankful for that. You know, stuff like that. That's that's what that's what I have been trying to say every time I've had to do something like this and, you know, um, express my condolences. That that's how I express them. Mm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm running against the clock here. Um Nancy, thank you so much for doing this with us, and thank you so much for joining us all. But I, I, I want to open up one more more thing and, and uh, one last thing for you guys, if if you wish to have any last messages, because this is our last show anyway, for a while anyway, for Left of the Valley. Um, if you guys want, I just want, just want to leave it open. If you guys want to say something to Nancy or to each other, by all means, feel free to say so. On behalf of the Republican Party, I will thank you for freeing up our economy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Nothing else needs to be said. That's it. Thanks, Arnie. <laughs> You're, You're good. Okay, I take unless anybody wants to say anything, I'll take I'll take the burden off. I love you all. We love what we do. We will be able to come back at some point, I know, and even if we don't, the experience that we have had this last six years with you has been remarkable and wonderful and joyous and sometimes irritating, but always a pleasure and always something that we've looked forward to. It's been the high point of my life in many, many ways. I never would have met you wonderful and 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 entertaining and intelligent uh remarkable remarkable people and i will always treasure in this life or whatever is beyond the fact that you've enriched my life to a wonderful degree and i thank you all of you from the bottom of my heart and let's not say goodbye let's just say we'll be in each other's thoughts we'll be in each other's minds we'll be in each other's heart and just leave it at that. Love it. Okay, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much, Thank Nancy. You. Thank all of you. Love you all. Thanks, Nancy. Love you. <laughs> Thank you for everything you've done, Nancy. Really. Does this mean we won the feud? Oh, oh, so oh no. So close to finishing a show without bringing that up. Are you telling me 
you created the coronavirus just so we wouldn't be able to meet? I, Ow. I think Joke's on them. Yeah. They're in the state. We, we conclusively won this feud. You did not. Oh. You sold it there. Sorry, you that's played the long for. game. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's stay in touch. And uh, in the meantime, uh, from the bottom of my heart and uh, from everything that uh, you guys have done, over the years, I appreciate that, and uh, I don't know what else. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we will keep Kevin in check. <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is just Tracy. I just wanted to say I didn't really have anything to add to what everybody had said, um, but I did want to say that I feel really grateful that I was even invited on, and it was wonderful just to hear everybody express their thoughts and and their different um, perceptions on this. So it was an honor to be here, and I'm just glad that I was invited. So thank you. The honor Thanks, was all ours, Tracy. The honor was all ours. Yeah, I didn't get to talk, but I just wanted to say thanks, Nancy, and I'm glad I got to have the uh, rest of the left of the valley on uh, <laughs> on the show because I don't like to do the talking. I like the other people to talk. That's <laughs> the whole point. <laughs> so good luck with your trial by combat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, I guess there's nothing else to add. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Until next time, I guess. Peace and love. Bye. Bye. Thank you, love you. for this. This was awesome. Oh, God. That was one hell of a send-off. Yeah. For those of you out there that um, sometimes when you're getting into a funeral or you experience a death and you don't sometimes know how to handle it, um, this is what I did for my father's death. Uh, for my father's death, I basically reviewed a speech that was called, You Want a Physicist to Talk to you at Your Funeral? And I basically modified it to personalize it for the rest of the family. So I'm going to read this for you guys and ho hopefully this will help you like it helped me for my own father. Uh, the speech goes... You want a physicist to speak at your funeral. You want the physicist to talk to your grieving family about the conservation of energy so they will understand that your energy has not died. You want the physicist to remind your, so uh, your sobbing mother about the first law of thermodynamics, that no energy gets created in the universe and none is destroyed. You want your mother to know that all your energy, every vibration, every BTU of heat, every wave of every particle that was her beloved child remains with her in this world. You want the physicist to tell your weeping father that amid uh, energies of the cosmos, you gave as good as you got. And at one point, you'd hope the physicist would step down from the pulpit and walk to your broken-hearted spouse there in the pew and tell him or her that all the photons that ever bounce off your face, all the particles whose path were interrupted by your smile, by the touch of your hair, hundreds of trillions of particles have raised off like children, their ways forever changed by you. As your widow rocks in the, in the arms of a loving family, may the physicist let her know, let him know, that all the photons that bounce from you were gathered in the particle detectors that are your eyes, that those photons created within her constellations of electromagnetic charged neurons whose energy will go on forever. And the physicists will remind the congregation that, that how much of our energy given off as heat, uh, that, sorry, how much all of our energy is given off as heat, that uh, 
there may be a few offending themselves with their programs as he says it all and he will tell them that the warmth that followed through your life is still there still part of that we are even though even as we who mourn continue the heat of our own lives you want the physicists to explain to those who loved you that they need not have faith indeed they should not have faith let them know that they can measure that scientists have measured precisely that the conservation of energy and found it accurate, verifiable, and consistent across space and time. You can hope your family will examine the evidence and satisfy themselves that the science is sound and that they have, they will be comforted to know that your energy is still around. According to laws of conservation of energy, not a bit of you is gone. You're just less orderly. And this is from uh, Aaron Freeman. And I think, I hope this is a good piece of advice, and I hope it will help you as you deal with your own personal losses. Are you going to be okay there, Kev? I don't know. I really don't know. Just go cry. You're allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, what else can I add to this, you know? <laughs> uh, I guess we just finished the show as we usually do. Wash your hands. Stay inside. <laughs> Social distance. Six feet apart. Fuck capitalism and eat the rich. <laughs> there. Uh, Talk about going out with a bang. Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining on the show today. And thank you to Nancy. And thank you to all our guests. Um, thank you for six amazing years. Yeah, thank you for six amazing years. And, uh, you know... Talk to us on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave this open... To you, the listeners, if you guys want us to continue the show, I want to hear from you. Send us an email at leftthatvalley@outlook.com. When, when we can actually be in the same room again. <laughs> yeah, or you know. Yeah, we're kind of breaking protocol here send, a little bit. <laughs> send us a message on Facebook. I want to hear from you. I know, I know, our supporters, our Patreon uh, donors are going to say yes. Of course, we want you to continue. But I want to hear from you out there that hear us. You know, the 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 in the void. Uh, you want us to continue this? Let me know. If I'm faced with the usual barrage of silence from you, then I will shut this down. But if you really want us to continue, I will continue this show. I will continue, even if we have to go on without Nancy and bring somebody else down the road. We will do so. But I want to hear from you. Uh, so until then, on behalf of Kirsten <laughs> and Christina and Nancy, my name is Kevin Francis. Thank you so much for listening. I mean, over the years, some, some of the some of the best moments we had on the show, some of the funniest moments we had on the show was from Nancy. I can still remember the time when you know we have this guest on, and, and she, she brought her thirteen-year-old daughter, and she's kind of intimidated. We're talking about Halloween stories, and she says, you know, and he, she the mother turns to her daughter and says, you know, you want me to rock your sleep? And then Nancy just adds her witty self. She just said, with a real rock, you know. This is just the kind of humor that's just just unique to her, and it helped create the show, make it so unique. Some of the best funniest moments we ever had on the show was when she would do another brilliant moment and her top 10 was always something that people appreciated oh my god my dear friend I, I, I am gonna miss you so much I miss you already and it's taken just about every ounce of strength that I have not to break down on the show so Nancy my dear friend 
I'm gonna miss you so much. Don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful. The thousands of children are raped by priests, and since they're holy men of God, they get away scot-free. And the Pope does his very best to keep it on the hush. Don't wanna affect business, he loves money too much. We know that they love the kids, but how the fuck can we protect them while they planning to molest them? We teaching them to respect them. Fuck that. The system is broke down, working backwards in the only action of tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them. The parties of God's hands are bloodstained, millions of murders by believers, and they're all in God's name. And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful. That many atheists are told to be quiet, you're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed.